Hello and welcome back to another episode of Pro Try News. We are here to give you a little uh, bit of our opinions, uh, as well as a bird's eye view of the professional triathlon racing field. Um, hopefully we don't insult anyone too much. Don't take the picks too personal. Um, so we'll try and get through this next episode um, as quickly as possible. We got a big show for you. So I'm your host, Kyle Glass, joined today by Mr. Mark Matthews. Are you guys still riding the high from uh, the race in Lanzarote? Yeah, Lan- yeah. the cat's had a bit of a tough week out in Lanza, and she's flying home early today, which means I am not prepared for her to fly home. So I've been panic shopping, cleaning, like trying to sort the house out because it was in shit state. But yes, still on the high from last week. So no more Bachelor weekend. Well, no more Xbox and beers with the boys, that's for sure. <laughs> we also have Pat Lemieux. Pat, looks like you got some pictures hung up in your new office. The office is totally done. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm going to put the call out now because now we're going to start really ripping through the uh, the Boulder triathlete scene and we want to we wanna have some, some guests come on. So the office is ready. The rest of the house, there's nowhere to sit. We have zero couches. Uh, and nothing, but we're, we're making it happen. Talbot Cox is joining us as well after his travels of last weekend. What's up? What's up? I haven't been on in a little bit. Uh, they only let me come on every once in a while in here, guys. I always, I'm the closest one to get this podcast canceled, uh, canceled but culture. It, so, but it looks like you guys finally got your headset situation sorted out. You're not, you're not going between other rooms, mute, off mute, back on mute. What true, you guys, true. There's a splitter and there's, tell, <laughs> tell the audience what you're doing headphone wise right now. Okay, so now we have a audio splitter to where we can both have headphones and go into the same mic system and things like that. So hopefully it sounds a lot better as well. Because um, one, of you, one of you works in visual media tech <laughs> and the other one is a visual media producer and yet you come on here with like iphone recording sharing a headset in the car like it's true. absolutely tragic true true so thank yeah, you true. boys we had a rough hit out but we're we're back and <laughs> moving and let's get on to the big event the main show of the show uh we got finally got uh hooked up with our special guest today mr sam renew ceo of the pto Finally, yeah, good to be here, guys. Um, I'm a pretty regular lister. I'm sorry I've missed it a couple of times recently, but it's good to be off the chat. We're happy to have you. Um, we appreciate you taking out time out of your day to visit with us. I know you've been traveling a lot and things like that, so um, we got a big season coming up. We do. It's a golden season. I've heard it said already. So yes. yeah, Sam, you're probably the guest that we've actually done the most talking about coming on in the background. You know, we had the Olympic champion on. We've had all sorts on and it's normally like oh, let's just have them on when when it, when it, you agreed to come on we were a bit touchy because <laughs> we've, we've we've been quite harsh on the pta but as i've said um, before it's because you guys do your own media for the positives so you do the positives and no, no one else does the negatives so now finding out that you're a regular listener i'm sorry mate i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> no no totally don't need to look we, we think you're uh you're very balanced and that we're by far, we're not a perfect organization by any sense of the word. We often say this phrase that we're the newest member of the community and we have, you know, the most to learn and hopefully we'll learn it quick and make it better for everybody because that's the uh, quite considerable weight I do think of as having on our shoulders, right? Because that's that's the role. You so Sam, on some early pro- like you delivered on some early promises straight out the bat. Like the first thing you promised was more money in pros pockets deeper and mm-hmm. you managed to do that literally straight off the bat, which... 
was was that just that was because of one large donor that you were you were able to garner his trust and then you were able to get something up and rolling or was there a long-term plan or is it gambling is it Ah, no, well, assuming you're referring to the, the payments we made in COVID, which I think is what you are, um, yeah. that was more because we were in the fortunate position that we were able to do so. So like we've just funded, in fact, I had this conversation with someone earlier on, on the investment side. We were so lucky, I say, not just the PTO, but as a sport, that maybe it was four weeks before COVID really picked up that we'd closed our A round, as it's called in, in investment terms. And so there was money in the bank. And uh, we had an investor that recognized the world was gonna really, really going to get tough. And we were very fortunate that when we called them up and said, look, the main way that most of the professional athlete body is compensated is racing. There's definitely not going to be racing anytime soon. We think we need to step in here because, you know, there is no government that's going to provide checks for professional athletes. They're self-employed, et cetera, et cetera. It took him all of about five seconds to agree. So that was certainly not an anticipated thing. I think if, if four weeks beforehand, we'd said, we're going to start our business plan by paying out close to, what was it in the end? Uh, it was two and a half million within a month without really any ask. I think they probably would have laughed me out of the room, but we were fortunate that by that point, they understood the business model and, you know, without sounding too much like a banker, you know, you invest in assets in good times and bad. And the most important assets in the sport, in our opinion, are the athletes now assets makes them sound like in like not not individuals obviously it's not a personal thing um but we think that's where the value is and that's what needs to get invested in so that's what we did good why don't you take us through um so you raced as an elite um athlete for the british triathlon organization and then um kind of went to london business school and then from there worked for a couple of various companies what led you to the pto um the PTO for me is is kind of a really exciting full circle, and I genuinely say it. It's the, the to me the best job I could possibly have. It's the one that I'm most excited about doing. It's definitely the place I've worked hardest, which I didn't think was possible because I've worked at some places where I've had much much bigger teams and much much bigger targets, and nothing compared to the pressure we feel here and what we're doing. But pressure is a privilege, which is you know that overused phrase that that athletes use rather, rather than us. Um, what led me to be here, without boring you too long with the story, was I was working in an investment group that was looking at investing in sports, or we were making lots of investments in sports. And this uh, unique gentleman called Charles Adamo came knocking and said, "Look, we think we can transform triathlon." Um, I heard the pitch, thought it was so unusual, so interesting the perspective he was bringing, how it could maybe fix what's ultimately a broken sport and i mean that at the industry level we can spend more time talking about that that if you'd like um but it it had a different investment profile from what we were doing uh in the particular place but i liked it so much i listened for a bit longer took me a couple of months and quit work and said i join him on the mission we go and find investors and, and off we go and we were we were very fortunate that quite swiftly afterwards i say very fortunate for myself as much as anything else um that we met sir michael moritz and he said stop talking to other folks I'm in for the A round. There might be future investors that you need, but for now, let's get going. Um, and that was uh, the start of the interesting journey, at least of the commercial side of the PTO. Well, question for you real quick. So I think the biggest misconception that I would say a lot of the um, followers, I guess, that follow us, and we, we did put up some questions on people to ask, uh, yeah. ask you when you came on here. The biggest misconception that a lot of people get, I probably get it more than a majority of the listeners, is what separates you from Mark Holowesco, High V, Lifetime Triathlon, all these guys that just come in? We, we have another guy like Waterfall Bank that just comes in and just pumps a lot of money in. What separates you guys from, what separates Mike Moritz and the PTO from a, those groups? I mean, how do we know that 
Mike isn't just here today. This is cool. Gone tomorrow. Yeah, no, look, it's, it's a very fair, fair question and observation. And look, and it's you're referencing more recent ones, but you can wind back 30 years and it's always been right. Like go back all the way to the beginning of a Panasonic try. There's been try to buy. There's been people in come and go. I think the most common link with almost all of those is that those were passion plays. They tend to be linked to someone that just really loves what they're doing. Um, and that's great for a while. But if it's not sustainable and money's just going out the door, then that passion gets worn down, frankly, and, and it disappears. And, and Pat would probably agree it's another thing in cycling, right, though? we're seeing this a lot now this you know the, the panache sorry the passionate benevolent owners come in and they do it for a bit and then you know when it's costing you 10 20 million a year you're like ah i'm good for a while um so that's the first thing is this is not a passion project um mike is not a triathlete he's never been a triathlete obviously knows who triathletes are because he's invested and partnered with us but but not a passion play um his reason he invested was just like he's invested in so many other things um, in time, very large addressable market. So by that, I mean the media market, the sports media market, and a very disruptive business model, which in our case, uh, primarily is, is one of the, the other things that's different about the other groups you mentioned, which is athlete ownership. And that was really the fundamentals of, of how he got involved. Because if you think about, it's very common now, Silicon Valley businesses, and you, know, you see all these startups that grow. One of the most important things is that they're grown by founders that own them, and they, they really believe in their entity they, they work to the ground to make them successful they're not working for other people they're supported by investors that have a piece and they get to go on the journey but the ownership makes makes a big difference and that's one of the major major changes when um or major differences i think in, in us to almost any entity out there is that this is ultimately the athletes organization the investors are coming along for a ride and hopefully they will get a good rate of return for the risk capital they're putting in again without sounding like a banker too much but fundamentally this is about the athletes um, and that's where we're different even from you know the entities that are existing now like like a super league or a world triathlon like this is an athlete body that's owned by the athletes that ultimately will be focused on giving a return to the athletes can you explain the owned by the athlete thing because sure. clearly there's the athlete board that sits and they will they can propose changes etc but to be to be ratified do they actually have any decision making authority so there's a difference between sort of decision-making authority and then sort of economic ownership, right? So like, yeah, I figured these kind of questions might come up and it's a fun time to be able to, well, fun. Yeah, it's really easy to understand. Governance is, if governance is fun, but we can certainly talk about it is because it's a unique model that gets, when we speak to people in sports investment, all get quite excited because this could be kind of the way things go is that the way the entity is set up is there's the PTO as a charity. And that, that charity is a membership-based organization that the athletes are all members of. There is close to 600 members. You might be surprised to hear that that's how many people have a professional license in, in the world. We don't get into the, into the jurisdiction of are you a pro or not. We leave that to the NGBs. But if you've got an NGB-based license, then you can be a, a member of the PTO. There are 600 members of those, and they are members of the nonprofit. And that nonprofit owns economic interest alongside the investors. So think of it as this way. You've got two, two entities that own something together. The investors are putting in the money for us to fund it. The athletes are putting in their effort and their personalities and the rest. And, and combined, you've got this sort of uh, a joint venture, to use the simplest of words. So that's what we mean by, by athlete ownership, is that we're an entity that is not 100%. Like when, if we make $10 million in the future, it's not $10 million going back to shareholders. It's, it's money that will go towards some towards the investors, depending on the, the, the structure that they have. And different investors will put different amounts in but some of it will go back to the athletes in addition to the prize money that we already fund, right? So we consider that just a general cost of business. When we've, you know, in a few years time, hopefully generated some profits after all of this, they then get shared between the athletes and then the investors. Yeah, interesting. With that model, um, without, so obviously you have investors, 
that have a certain controlling stake in terms of the revenue they get back. And I presume that's based on the contract that's written with an investor and the percentage of return they will get will depend on the size of the investment and what state you're financially in is the power you have to flex that. Do the athletes at any point, though, have control over that or any deciding deciding opinion on that? Because if your turnover goes towards tennis, for instance, and you're turning over hundreds of millions, you the PTO governing staff and the investors still hold all the control on where that return of investment goes. And you then decide how much you charitably dose, dose out to the pros. Is that roughly? Uh, right? No, no not, not quite. No, look, I'm very happy to, to share the, the specifics. So we have a commitment in the membership agreements that yeah. 25% of our revenues must be paid in prize money. And that's revenues, not profits, right? So there's a very important distinction there. Um, so that means, you know, if there's 10 million of sponsorship, you guys can be seeing two and a half million. And as you would, anyone would realize at the moment, if you were to look at the, the model, so there's five and a half million dollars in prize money this year, that is dramatically higher than 25%, right? Like we're going to be way over indexed for a long time. But in short answer to your question, yes, there are, I don't want to use the word protections because that makes it sound like you're protecting against investors. There are commitments in the membership structure that we've got that the athletes have signed up to and the investors have invested in that have commitments around prize money and then profit sharing when eventually there are profits, which sadly will be a few fair few years i shouldn't say sadly they'll come eventually but we're very fortunate that we've got investors that absolutely believe in the value of the sport or more specifically the value of the athletes that make up the sport and they're very happy to take losses because they recognize that the the future is bright the long-term so, potential yeah so yeah. so so when you say investors uh I'm, I'm assuming there's more than one this is kind of a two question uh is one what happens tomorrow if mike Moritz is like man, shit's at the fan. I got to bounce. I'm done. Also too, how does the PTO make money? Like, like how, if Mike Merritt stepped away and then also what kind of is the business plan? Is it selling race fees like Ironman, like Lifetime and High V in them? Like how does the PTO make money? What happens if Mike Merritt just bounces? Sure. So, so two parts of that question. First one, do we have enough in the bank to make this sustainable? Yes. So we've raised enough from Mike and a few other investors that are involved. Some of them we're going to announce in about a month's time. So we're not, not quite there yet. Um, but we've got enough that we have the runway as to use the sort of the VC, VC term to, to get us there, um, which is hopefully reassuring to everybody. And obviously that that that's predicated, I suppose, on us doing a good job and the athletes remaining united, right? So if all of the athletes say, hey, I'm not coming to Edmonton, or screw the Collins Cup, then I guarantee it, then it won't work, right? That goes without saying, right? It, it all predicated on, on unity, um, which is also an important, you know, if I go back to actually your first question, it's where this is different to even anything beforehand. If you were to speak to the Collins Cup captains or to Dave Scott or even to like Norman Stadler, like there were always attempts at bringing the athletes together. There were many versions over the years, but what they lacked was true unity of the athletes actually coming together, signing a contract and saying, yep, we'll do this, which is what, what happened. And also an investor with long-term, right? A long-term term view. So it's such a unique, perfect combination, which is why I, as I said, I get so excited about this as a job. Like it's the most amazing opportunity for triathlon to grow, which it just hasn't been able to do before. Um, I should get, Carl, you're asking a question, then I'll get on to Talbot's more detailed question. <laughs> Go for it. Um, you can finish up because my question is going to be about points and um, athletes and races and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Details. yeah look, well, let's do a, a high level. You know, how do, how do we make money? Um, it's, it's, a, it's actually pretty simple. It's not like the endurance industry makes money. It is how the professional sports industry makes money. What I mean by that is it's a pretty diversified mix. So you've got TV revenue, you have sponsorship revenue, you have ticketing, 
you have economic hosting and then you have sort of the other stuff, which is like merchandising and selling hot dogs and things like that. And as we establish the events, we'll have a whole mix of those. Um, in the early days, it's mainly around sponsorship, right? Because let's call it what it is. And it's obvious to anyone, we're not going to make large amounts of money from our TV rights in the short term. We have to convince the um, the discoveries in the ESPNs of the world that this is engaging content they can sell advertising around and then they'll pay us for it. It's as simple as that. That's the really big big um, opportunity in the future. It takes time to do that. Our investors are absolutely supportive. In the meantime, ticketing, merchandise, and within ticketing, I would include age group revenues. Um, and age group revenues to us, 10 to 15% of total is ultimately where, where we'll get to, um, which is why, and I've no doubt you guys might ask the question, so I'll jump to it first. We were less worried um, about taking our, our entry free, uh, our age group pricing down um, from an economic perspective, at least, it was certainly a very painful PR process to go through, and one I'll remember for for a very, very long time. Um, but it, from an economic, will you point fingers? Sure, yeah, yeah. Point up at me. <laughs> no, no, you can you can point it point it straight to me. Like at the end of the day, I I run the commercial side of the business, and it was a commercial decision, and we made the wrong one. Look, it's a very simple one, um, and I, I don't think we've shared it necessarily as, as openly as this. We fundamentally, as in we, the folks that are involved with the commercial side, and indeed, you know, the LOCs, which are the guys that are delivering the events, we all really recognize how exciting these events are going to be. And when I say exciting, not because of a beautiful course or anything like that, that we will do our best to have those too, but because of having the very best athletes all racing together for the prize money that they have with the television structure, like we're very, very excited. We've drunk in the Kool-Aid, to use the American phrase, and we think it's worth a certain price. And this is what we priced it at. Now we recognize that people haven't experienced those events yet. And therefore we should earn loyalty rather than just expect it straight out of the gate, which is why we made, I'd say painful from a purely sort of egotistical perspective. It's always painful to announce you're wrong very publicly. And so that's why we did it so quickly, mainly at the behest of the athletes, right? So again, unity is important. The most important thing to the whole success of this entity, frankly, is the athletes, A, feeling that they own it, which they should, and B, that they promote it, right? So we want Lionel and Sky and Taylor and everyone posting, see you in Edmonton, I'm excited, or come and, come and race alongside me or tune in for the broadcast. And what we were concerned about is that they were getting the feedback, hey, this is just too expensive. This is just like an Ironman again. And then they would feel like they couldn't promote it. And that's why we said, you know what? It's very painful PR-wise to change. It's not painful economically, but let's make that difference and prove to the age group community that this is exciting to come to yeah and i think sam i i really just want to commend you and the team on how you guys handled that uh the number one thing that I, when i when i was thinking about this and mark and i talked about it i was doing a what i call a swat analysis of strength weakness opportunity and threat for you guys but you know one of the one of your best qualities is, is that you guys do listen mm-hmm. and you know the uh, there was some noise around around the the high price with those events and and for you guys to come back i was uh, i was blown away and i think it i think it's really uh commendable and it, it was something that uh i i guess you guys earned a lot of respect from from me in that situ- in how you guys handled that situation so yeah kudos to you guys on that because of well, course you've know, worked for active so you've worked for active which there's the iron man model which is people will complain about the price. You just ignore it because you know it's going to fill up anyway. Now you could have that. You could have gambled that, like Iron Man do almost every time. Like there's, we're not going to give you a refund. We're going to ignore it because everyone's drank the Kool Aid. They'll they'll come again. But you, you didn't gamble that way. Is that lessons learned from previous experience, or is it? it was um, it just the, the fact that this is a morality kind of concept as well? 
Yeah, no, it's more to to your your question when you again not to jump around too many things to, to governance. And you said, look, do the athletes have any say here? The athletes absolutely have a say, right? And so we listen to the athletes, and we want the athletes to feel like these are their events. I'm pretty sure we included this phrase when when we put a, the statement out. Is this is kind of unusual? Um, athlete, because we're we are the athletes' body. The athletes own this race. Therefore, the age groupers who come are the guests of the athletes, and we want them to feel like they're welcoming their guests, not screwing them over for more money. Now, we believe that it's worth that. And actually, I'd argue that it's worth even more than we're pricing. Like we looked at, you know, we look at what 70.3 worlds cost nowadays and we price below that. We, we moved it lower to earn the trust and earn that experience, which we're really fortunate we're able to do because it's not that part of, it's not that uh, economically important, right? Now, what is very important though, is, is obvious, is that people are supported and excited about it, right? So I'd much rather have 5,000 people super excited, not necessarily at the race, but like talking about it and engaged and wanting to come next year that pay a hundred bucks than 1,000 that pay a thousand dollars. It's just a completely different different approach. Because you're in that growth phase as well, both in terms of popularity, financially, everything. Yeah, well, it's, it's more that it's growth, but it's that the... the the actual ticket price just isn't that impactful. What's impactful is people talking about the event, people tuning in. We need to show that the, the broadcast can get millions and millions of people. And the way that happens is four, five, 10 years of people coming and going, I want to be in that race, right? We want to make sure that we sell these out so that, I mean, if you look at the dynamics now with, with different events, almost nobody sells out anymore, right? It used to be that even Ironman races sold out really fast. It was, you talk about the experience at Active, we used to have sleepless nights getting ready to launch Ironman Lake Placid because it would either sell out in two minutes or break our systems and roth is pretty much the only race in the world that does that anymore and we want to make sure that these races in time are like that because it increases the prestige makes the sponsorship worth more etc 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 all those kind of things that's good makes sense uh let's move on to pto um as far as the point system because we know the athletes um i guess one question that was brought up was the pto point system essentially is a rich get richer program of the top 25 athletes mostly benefit and the athlete 26 through a hundred plus kind of struggle to, to make. I don't eat. think Sam's going to describe it as a rich get richer program, but I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd certainly, I wouldn't, whether I use that phrase or not, I would say you've just described every professional sport in the world. It yeah. will always be the best, the best athletes will get the, get the most. It's not unique to the PTO or anything there. Um, we're actually really glad that we do get to compensate through the rankings, 200 athletes. Like it's one of those things we look at. And over time, again, back to that, that comment, the athletes own this and the economics flow, the rankings will just get bigger, right? So as we become sustainable, as we said, we'll, we tie our prize money to our revenues, that 200th athlete, hopefully, you know, eventually it is $10,000 or $15,000. But in the short term, we're grateful, frankly, that we have the structure we're able to, to compensate them. That's good. And then what about um, like doing videos for those athletes, like ranked 50 plus? and kind of building their kind of repertoire as far as them being an up and coming athlete. Yeah, look, it, it's, it's an interesting one. And what we spend quite a lot of time um, talking about of how do we engage more of a community? How do we encourage um, not just our community is in, when I say ours, like the collective professional travel community, but also encourage content creation with the athletes themselves. How can we facilitate that? That is not necessarily all on us, but like are there ways that we, can, we can get more because um, driving, you know, user-generated content is, that's, that's what will really, really lift this. Rather than the PTO committing another $50,000 to more content creation, facilitating more and more longer tail athletes being able to make it, that, that's really the name of the game. Um, though they're saying that, look, without sounding glib, like relating it back to other professional sports, um, 
most of the attention will always be driven by the top one, two, three, four, five. Um, I remember in uh, in golf, there was a, an interview recently and they said out of, you know, the 200 athletes that play in the PGA Tour, and that's like making the PGA Tour, right? We're talking unbelievably talented, right? Compared to the 10,000 professionals out there. And even within, uh, I think it's 180 um, that have our car carrying members, about 12 of those 180 reasonably sort of sell tickets and drive drive promotion, right? It's so weighted to the top. Um, and that's not because they're better people. It's just because they're the best athletes. And that's what we all aspire to as a public. And so it's kind of a, a trade-off between us. We want to support it. We want to facilitate it because those athletes that are 50th or 100th, there's only one way that hopefully they go. Um, and then secondly, recognizing that most of it gets driven by the top guys and that allows us to fund the whole thing. And, and, and I can speak on that because... I'm sure a lot of people here know that I've worked close with the PTO team. And I remember that my first time that I worked with the PTO team was during COVID at the Bear Lake Triathlon. And I remember going out there and I worked with Nick, who's uh, in charge of all the media. And I covered like the top four athletes and the Nick had reached out to me and was like, oh, well, what about these other people? And I had just become so accustomed to the industry that, uh, well, no one cares about the other people, like, cause no one's going to watch it. And then he explained to me, oh no, that's not our goal. Like our goal is to storytell about these other people. And I'm sitting there thinking in my head, well, one, they're paying me. So I make, I want to make sure I get a paycheck, but two, <laughs> this is a waste of my time to go record some of these other athletes because no one's going to watch it. And, and Nick has always been on that line. And if you, if people don't follow the PTO hub on YouTube, on Instagram or on their website, they cover so many athletes outside of the top 50 ranked. I mean, there is so many athletes that make video journals on video diaries and all that. And so when we go back to the rich get richer, we don't promote the lower tier pros. I, I personally couldn't disagree with that more because how much does Ironman pay seventh through 15th place at Ironman? I mean, they pay top six at Ironman lands are obviously seventh yeah. place man in a field of 50 pro men you know, seventh place man walks away with nothing. But the worst thing about that was they asked all top 10 to go to the prize giving that night at like nine o'clock and they weren't allowed to bring a guest, but they weren't paying top 10. <laughs> so they were, they were asking for pros from men and women to turn up to collect a prize they hadn't paid at all. Can I ask on uh, race specific? Because normally, Sam, what we do is, as you know, we just talk about races and we've talked governance mostly. So the 100K distance, is that... Is that to be different to the 70.3? Is that to um, create a broader range of people that will be good at it, i.e. it suits the ITU athletes, arguably as equally as it suits the long? Where did you come on to the 100 as being your opening gambit almost? So, I mean, yes and yes and yes. To sort of, I think you said you either said two or three reasons there, but they were all, all right. Um, and then the, the third, frankly, because there are multiple reasons, right? There's, there's often not one, one reason you do things. Um, the, the, the most important one was we felt it was as long sorry other way around we, it was as short as we could make a long distance triathlon like it's still clearly long right anyone who argues that this is no longer long distance or endurance doesn't know the physiology from their something i'll i was about to say something quite rude so i, I won't i'll pause <laughs> we nice haven't we have an explicit rating on our podcast <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so that's my fault sorry about that <laughs> well, the explicit is my endurance fault. activity um but we do 
have fundamentally we have a media model right and we need to be able to engage with broadcasters and when you turn up and you say i want a nine or a ten hour broadcast they sort of before laughing you out of the room they then tell you never to come back um ever again and so 100 kilometers is, is about the distance we feel oh sorry the time frame which is you know roughly 305 315 320 for the women maybe um, where we can still be in the realms of hey we're shorter than cricket for, for those who would relate to that. Um, and, and Which is actually the most, I think might still be the most watched sporting broadcast of all time was uh, India v Pakistan in like the semi-finals of the World Cup, partly because they both love cricket and there's a billion in each country and they all tuned in. But yeah. if, you, if they can do it, you can do it, mate. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 to, and to piggyback off that, Sam, I know that you guys have announced two majors uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say any more, but clearly there's going to be two more added. Will we see a long distance race from the PTO or will all future races all be 100K? Yes. So, so there will be. Yes to? Okay. <laughs> which am I saying yes to? Uh, yes, there, there will be a long distance race. So like that, that was always the intention. We absolutely recognize that although more of the economics are flowing into the shorter stuff, partly because of us still many many people got into the sport because of Ironman and because of long distance and so we're certainly not taking entirely away from it the intention is that we will have one of the majors will be 200 kilometer distance so double double the length um whether that will rotate between the venues or whether we'll just find one that's just perfectly suited to it I'm not sure we're talking to sort of lots, lots of different places in the world um and, and we'll figure that out uh depending on the on the core structure because that was for me the I was worried that it was going to go away from Ironman as a distance. But what made me realize or convinced me that you weren't doing that was that ten percent point bonus for your fastest yeah. Ironman full, which showed to me that you guys do actually really value and understand the importance of an Ironman as a distance to the age groupers, fans, and spectators. Like that's what punters like me do. You know, we go to race an Ironman, and yeah. you want to see if the pros do that as well. And that ten percent was like quite a good, I don't know, reassurance that that was still important. Yeah, no. Absolutely. No, and that's why when the, the PTO, although we're across all the triathlon, we obviously spend majority, vast, vast majority, like 99% of the focus on long distance racing. Um, over time, do we have aspirations of supporting short course athletes and including them more in the journey? Yes. Um, the last, last part of the sort of the 100 kilometer question mark is we think it's also the kind of distance that can... I'll use my words carefully. No, I'm going to be, be really blunt about it. We think it can, can really measure the ultimate athlete, right? Because it's still long distance, but it's short enough that you're going really, really fast. It, the transitions are going to matter absolutely right with that kind of level. And so we think it's beginning to show, you know, that's the long distance and the short coming together and it crowns the ultimate athlete, which to us is very important. It's a phrase you will hear from us a lot over the coming years, because that's what we think triathletes are, right? Of, of swimming, biking, running, the triathlete is the ultimate athlete. And that's where we're similar to UFC, the UFC is dramatically bigger because they've been managed to convince the world that don't watch boxing, don't watch karate, just watch UFC. We think there's a huge potential, as do our investors. Exactly the same thing with triathletes. Triathletes are the ultimate athletes. Just the general public doesn't realize it yet. Sam, I'm going to change uh, theme here a little bit. And, you know, one thing, uh, you know, you guys are clearly an athlete first organization. And that's just with the amount of just whether it's just the content that you're doing where you're talking about your competitors races, because there's good, you know, there's going to be great athlete matchups in those. Um, do you think your competitors are feeling the pressure? Are they improving their product because there's somebody else in the marketplace right now? I hope so. 
um, is maybe the political answer. Uh, the less political one is uh, it was fantastic to see prize money at Ironman going up for the first time in goodness, I don't know how long, I think over a decade. Is yeah. that because of the PTO? Not necessarily, um, but it's great to see. And, you know, smoke and fire, as, as the phrase goes. Um, it's also fantastic to see the level of the broadcast quality in long distance racing going up. Like, I know everyone knocks it, we knock it too. It's at least getting better. It's yeah, still like definitely right? it's paint dry still like it's not like it's even in the realm of, of good yet, but it's getting better and we have to be, be happy about that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully. And, and Flash Daytona is... was good. Did you watch that, Sam? Did you watch and Flash indeed, Daytona? Sorry, yeah, I mean, there's me referencing Iron Man, but I think what the guys are doing at Daytona is absolutely fantastic. And long may that continue of having someone as passionate as Bill Christie, right? That's a passion play. He's coming in and wanting to change things and do it differently and able to leverage the incredible experience of NASCAR. And we should all keep our fingers crossed that that continues for a long time because yeah. Yeah, they're, going to just, they're setting the bar, right? Are, yeah. are all these races, are they all competitors or do they ultimately help PTO in the long run? Is your goal to bring all the top 20, top 40 athletes to the PTO events and then let all the lower tier, not lower tier, lower ranked athletes go to those Ironman races that pay out seven grand. Well, is Ironman a big competitor of yours? Absolutely not a competitor. Um, and I would lean into, uh, and you would obviously know this, um, Lionel had a, had a great quote recently about, I think it was Galveston that he went to and, you know, he won, he still didn't even make money, but now he's not going to go to Galveston anymore because he's going to go to our races that allows somebody else to go and go and make the money instead. Right. I'm, I'm misquoting what he said in, in one of the press conferences recently or one, one of his YouTube videos with you. Um, but to your question, yeah, I mean, to me, what shows that we're not a competitor is, you know, to become, to go and race in Edmonton, you're not having to do a PTO race that requires you to go there. You go do an Ironman, go do a challenge, go do Clash, right? We, we, and we will always have that model. We want people to go and qualify at other places. Um, we just want to end up being the, the top of the tree. And we will, to be top of the tree, we'll incentivize people accordingly, right? We believe that if the, the right economic incentive is there, we will bring the best fields. And that's fundamentally what makes racing so exciting. You need to have the best field. Kona being cancelled last year for you was a bit of a gift um because that's the top of the tree at the moment and that, that's two years in a row that you got the top of the tree taken off the field whilst you're able to grow your model yeah except that it's a really small tree huh? like so i i would i don't i don't look at kona as the big competition like we generally consider nfl nba those are the things we need to look to for us to be successful right and it's not being arrogant about whether kona is an amazing race it will always be legendary and it will always have an incredible role in the sport but from a media product perspective it's incredibly hard. So like, even if the Ironman guys wanted to make it so much better, they're on the wrong time zone, right? It, there's so many things that make it difficult. It costs an arm and a leg even to get a camera there, let alone a whole crew, right? So there are many things that are negative around Kona from a broadcast perspective. So although we might, yeah, to use your top of the tree, it's a, it's like a bush <laughs> to what we're trying to, because, you know, we've got to compete with NASCAR and, and Formula One and all those things. Sorry, back to it. No, no, no. I, I've just another question. Um, we had a 2022 prediction show and I made a, I made a bold prediction that the race in Edmonton and the race in Dallas are going to be amazing for the sport of triathlon. Unfortunately, they're going to kill the Collins cup is what was what I said, because you're going to have new eyes come to Edmonton, Dallas, and it's going to be a very clear, th easy thing to comprehend. I'm a, sports marketing director at a bike company. I don't normally watch triathlon, but I'm going to watch this race. There's a very clear 40 people start. One person crosses the line first. Mm -hmm. Then a couple of weeks later, they're going to tune into the Collins cup and there's going to be talk about these T 
teams and they're racing separately, but then there's points and they're not wearing their cup, their normal suits. They're wearing these different regions around the world. And I, my fear is that it's um, a little too much. It's a little too far away from what the actual sport is and does. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I know you're not a massive fan. I do listen. Is my question fair, I guess? It's actually, absolutely, absolutely fair question. I just thought, I, I thought, thought I'd, I'd start with that. Um, look, there's, uh, and this is where we definitely don't agree for, for obvious reasons right now. Do I agree with you that it's going to take time to... Well, actually, I'll, I'll restate that. Did we do a great job delivering the Collins Cup to the way we wanted to? No, last last year, right? We, we kind we of delivered a great after parties. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and indeed, hopefully the parties for anyone who was there all the way through. It was, wasn't <laughs> um, But we didn't deliver it to the level we wanted from the broadcast, but we kind of expected that because it was the first time, right? Super complicated, difficult part of the world to be, be delivering those kind of events in. But the long-term relevance of the Collins Cup is that it's designed to appeal to the general sporting audience rather than the pure triathlon fan. And so it, it's one thing that will just take time developing and, and to that whole comment of the ultimate athlete, like most, even if we get to the point where many, 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 many millions are tuning into all of our races, the Collins Cup will have a special place because it's designed not just to appeal to those fans anyway. And that shouldn't be all of them. You know, we don't have that format, Pat, as you're very probably glad to hear. It's not the Collins Cup format at every race we do. Um, <laughs> but the idea is to have one where you are reaching out to the broader audience where they can, they don't need to understand triathlon. They just need to understand USA, Europe, internationals, right? So that's the first part. And then secondly, if it isn't obvious, is it what it does is it, it allows it allows us to consult. And this isn't unique to the PTO. This is a general sporting thing. It allows us to consolidate attention around specific teams. So if we take take me as an example, if I'm watching the golf and there's a Belgian winning, I just couldn't give a crap, right? Whereas Europe is winning, I'll tune in, I'll care. Right. And so it's a couple of small things that are nothing to do with triathlon that are important to that format to grow the general audience. Um, is it challenge, more challenging and a harder narrative? And have we got it right yet? Absolutely not. Hopefully we get that better in the storytelling and, and you'll be more impressed next year. Hopefully. Question on the Collins Cup real quick. Are you thinking about adding a, another team, a.k.a. taking the Great Britain organization away from Europe and giving them their own delegation? Based on yeah. Just to make it fair, mate. Basically. We are officially not thinking about doing that yeah all right all right i just wanted to get uh some clarification just to, just to clear it i know a lot of people say hey commonwealth team and you know right what if flora was along and then you have the uk and bermuda <laughs> you know but uh no no we, we think europe internationals and, and, and us is, is the way to go all right and then um, another question for uh kind of the majors for canada and us from the pro perspective do you have to be ranked in a certain amount to qualify for those races or can anyone race those races as professional athletes? Yeah. So look, you're, you're catching me off guard on a Sunday night that I don't have the qualification criteria in front of me, but it's been sent to all the athletes. It is based on ranking. Um, there will be certain periods when the, the, the qualification will take place and everyone gets notified. Um, we have off the top of my head, five wild cards for each event. So we can uh, accommodate someone that's on their way up. Like, I mean, I'm not necessarily on the way up as that's both as a developing athlete, but also someone that might've been injured and off for a bit. I mean, Javier Gomez jumped a hundred places in our rankings because of the, he's now coming back and forward and, and focused on the long distance racing. Um, right. So he's an example of someone that might miss because of automatic, but of course you're going to have Javier in, in the race if you could. Um, but yes, it's, it's in general, it's from predominantly qualifications by rankings. And then I'm going to switch the lens over to the age group field mm -hmm. doing these races. Do they qualify you for anything or anything like that? Is there? 
they qualify you to, to get to come and watch the greatest athletes on the planet right in front of you. That's what they qualify you. Yeah, no. um, at the moment, uh, like at the moment, there are, there are open races, right? Like it's the it's the name the names in the title. Um, over time, might we create something around a league for the age groupers and and think through you know rankings and stuff like that potentially. But in the short term, we're very very laser focused on creating a really great broadcast for the professionals and the age groupers um, are an important part of it, both from, as we said earlier, fans, but also spectators, right? Because what we all know in triathlon, one of the things that's most challenging about it is, is seeing fantastic athletes and uh, a man walking his dog on the side of the road. And, and that just doesn't look good for anybody. And we need to make sure that we've got an engaged audience. This, this is a more broad question, kind of what to Kyle's is. I, I could be wrong on this. I believe that your qualification, they're going to take 40 athletes to start and you have to be ranked within the top 50 or 60s for a roll down slot. I'm glad to hear that there will be wild card slots. Um, a lot of the lower ranked professional athletes are a bit, of course, we all know they don't agree with the point system. Uh, also, most importantly, because they're going to favor the PTO races this year. I mean, I can name five of the top athletes in the world that aren't even ranked in the top. They aren't even ranked in the system. You got Christian Blumenfeld, you got Yella Geens, Vincent Louis, Martin Van Riel, who are all top level 100K athletes that would, could all possibly be on the podium. They could all receive those slots. But how are you guys sticking with your, um, your point system? Do you like that? Do you think that this hurts athletes? that are trying to come up from the ranks, like your 80th place athlete, because a lot of those athletes, those lower ranked athletes are still mad about the point system that back to what we said, it helps the rich get richer. How can they ever make it into the top 40? I'm going to defense. No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. Sam sorry. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. sorry. I almost don't want to let Sam. No, 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 no. What I'm trying to say to you is I don't agree with that either, but that is what a majority of our questions are, are people that are not educated on the system. So I'm trying to let him explain to them. I don't so agree with that. Either. One, um, I mean, I'll give, without going to too much detail on the answer, that there's one thing that I think often people totally miss. So for a start, are the rankings perfect? Absolutely not. Not by any sense of the word. We have an athlete committee, as hopefully everyone knows, that's looking at it. We're evaluating better systems. Is it ever going to be perfect? Probably not. We think it's it's the least imperfect at the moment, but we're totally open for change and we're working on changing it. Like we get it. It's incredibly important. It's two million dollars that we get to give two hundred people. Like that. That's always going to get um, heated debates about it. Um, so it's by no means perfect. Um, what it does actually do much better for athletes that you're referencing than I think most people realize is, is it actually allows us to spot obscure athletes that are way, way lower down, because the whole point of it is that this isn't just weighted on big races. It's we're seeing events in the middle of nowhere and they can get great points and, and suddenly shoot up. Um, and it's, you know, it's maybe not quite the fair example, but I'm going to go off memory. I think Sam Long was like 50th when we first did it. And now he's fourth. And, you know, the path has gone through and we've been able to show that. So mm -hmm. um, we could debate the rankings probably for the next like hour and a half, which, you know, probably not the best no, use it's, of time for everybody. But yeah, it, um, and it's, it's been pretty, done to death. It's, it's pretty clear the biggest, you know, the biggest way to leapfrog. And I think we talked we talked maybe two or three months ago, Kyle, was it about Tamara Jewett, who was ranked like deep in the hundreds? And she's just been, get you know, whether it was like winning she might, she was winning races that probably weren't the most prestigious, but that was how she was doing these massive leapfrogs. And so I think there is a case to be made where it's, you know, Sam was probably chasing some of the more prestigious North American races. Tamara Jewett was probably what I would call some of the tier like three stuff, but it was, it still made like a categorical leap in where they were overall. So I think it's also the, 
I was lucky enough. So I asked Jan Fredino this when we were in Girona. I said, does it, you know, does the rankings bother you? What are your thoughts on it? And he, this was when he was number one. And he just said, why would I care? I'm number one. And it's this like cream, cream rises, doesn't it? And you look at the, the people in the top, like, I don't know, Laura Phillip, her top score, Finland, and then Austria and Kat's got, so she's now sixth with Lanzarote and Bolton and Tulsa. They're not these big brand events. You don't have to go and beat the best in the world. You just have to put down a physical performance. And yes, I do think there's mistakes in the system. Like Sam's said, it's not perfect, but the concept's good. But the concept's really sound, isn't it? I guess I'm like, and I, I think hopefully you would all agree the output is also right, right? Yeah. As you're kind of alluding to, right? So like even if we might all get frustrated at times by the way it gets there, there's no doubt that the athletes that are being ranked, the order probably no, no nobody would change. And, and, and for me to defend Sam, you even more on the people is that a lot of people said, oh, Christian Blumenfeld's not even in the top 100. And I'm like, Christian Blumenfeld needs to finish three long distance races. So that maybe this will encourage a lot of those athletes, Vincent Louie and all of them, if they're wanting to get the money and they're wanting to be involved and then also make it the most competitive PTO majors, if they want to come to those then they need to complete three long distance races. And this could also probably get rid of the DNF, the amount of DNFs that happen in the professional race. Well, that, that's, that, that happens more, I think, ironically, with a point system. And I don't know if Sam has a view on this. I don't want to drag him into conversation. But obviously, if you, if you know you're not going to score the points that you need and you're not going to move up in the rankings and you can pull out and you can race again next week, having only done half a marathon versus a full marathon, like, why not? But that's not unique to this sport either. Like, that happens in lots of sports. Like, even Formula One cars, they don't bury the engine they've got on a, on a, on a bad race. They might save it for the next race. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it encourages people not to pull out or to pull out but it's not unique i have one more question about uh racing the pto pro-am race coming up in may are the professional athletes picking celebrities to race with them how's this working they are not picking the celebrities they'll uh they'll be involved in it a little bit so it's going to be i don't think we've announced this yet when does this go out tomorrow yeah, I uh, think so. It's, it's, it's this matter. week. It'll, it'll, it'll be this week. It'll probably be. It depends when Kyle gets around to it. That's a really useful question as to for our listeners because <laughs> we all get the blame for the shoddy like release dates. That's just Carl's fault. So Sam, I've got oh. no idea when it'll come out, mate. No, no problem. We'll, we'll predate an announcement. Other than that, is too much. Too much. Um, we're going to have a the format for the pro am will be CAF athletes. So we're involving Challenge Athletes Foundation um, cool. alongside the PTO. Cool. And then celebrities in a relay format. And so we're still working through all the specifics um, and we're talking to a bunch of different different celebrities in the moment. And the idea of this is about showcasing athletic endeavor. Like as we said earlier, ultimate athletes, we believe all triathletes are the ultimate athletes. And this is a chance where by leveraging the celebrities, we can get maybe some people that will never have even looked at a triathlon before to look and go, holy crap, I cannot believe what these athletes do. Um, and so that's, that's really what that's all about. But that's only for five men and five women. We've then got a hundred thousand dollars that we've got in the pro race um which is the the olympic distance non-drafting event which again was primarily around supporting the lower ranked athletes right? so i hope mm-hmm. anyone who's listening in north america if you're if you've got your pro license and you're a member i hope you're signing up and heading across to the team there at herbalife because it's a pretty decent um earnings opportunity in the middle of may there was there was a funny i can probably release this a little bit lionel's celebrity partner is paul felder if mm-hmm. you know Paul Felder and uh, Cam Worth made a comment to the PTO, get me Nate Diaz and we'll whip Lionel on Paul Felder's ass. <laughs> so <laughs> that was pretty good. Don't know if Nate's coming. I think he has a lot of other drama going on at the UFC right now, though. 
there's a lot of drama in the UFC there always is but that's yeah. one of the reasons why they do such a fantastic that's... job and, and they're the main entity when we talk about you know joking about Kona and size of trees UFC is, is what we aspire to right it's what we look at and say if we can do for endurance sports what UFC have done for combat then you know whether it's you know Gustav making 100 million dollars a year like Conor McGregor did last year or, or, or not um we would have without done winning a fight brilliant and so do you see yourself or is it charles adamo stood in the middle of the two people like doing the dana white which one are you like he's got less hair hair than me so i guess (laughs) (laughs) so i think um i think we're probably rounds complete on um a very polished interview you've clearly they've picked the right man for this job because yeah you know we've been critical of you i'm i'm trying to be less critical because i'm not fundamentally actually critical it's just just for the pod really but yeah you you've certainly swept up your uh, delivery of some of these answers i can't tell whether it's can't tell whether it's bluff or not but i'm convinced so <laughs> well look we look and, and we um mark, we mark just doesn't want you to penalize his wife too much so <laughs> <laughs> um we don't uh, we don't mind the criticism we welcome it and i mean it genuinely as as pat said like we listen um yeah. we probably listen more than everyone realizes That's right Keep our keep our ears to the ground. Um, we're not perfect. We're going to do things wrong. We're going to do more things wrong. It's it's almost inevitable, and this is going to take some time. But we've got patient investors. We have athletes of the United, and provided they stay united, this sport will be a lot better in a few years' time. And we're looking back at podcasts like this, going, "Hey, do you remember when it was nuts and we were talking about points and all this kind of stuff and and celebrating much bigger things?" Yeah, most definitely. Well, uh, Sam, I just want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it was cool. a blast having you. Uh, maybe we can get you on maybe once a year or something and we could uh, bust you for, for some more questions. So most definitely. Let's well, let's yeah. do it live in Dallas. Hopefully. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, we, we can go to a barbecue shop. Yeah, barbecue shop. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. most importantly, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I think the most important thing that you can do is if you want to see the PTO be successful, whether you're a professional athlete or just an amateur or a fan, is seriously tune in and help. You should be following the PTO on social media. Follow them, subscribe to their YouTube channel, check out the PTO hub, check out their ranking page. The more eyeballs that they see on race day, the more fan interaction they get, it only helps the sport grow. So you can't just sit back and be an armchair quarterback and throw punches if you're not actually helping out the cause as well. So I just want to encourage you all to uh, check out their socials, follow them, and uh, we will see you next week.